If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? He didn't realize it was you, Holy One. You called his name three times, and three times the boy Samuel got up and ran to another room, giving his attention elsewhere. His ear was not yet tuned to justice, his mind not yet practiced enough at disregarding distraction, his heart not yet discerning enough to distinguish truth with a capital T from lies. So as we read that story, we must ask ourselves, what voices are we mistaking for yours, Holy One? Dogma, partisanship, self-doubt, family, ego. It seems our ears are not yet tuned to justice our minds not yet practiced enough at disregarding distraction, and our hearts not yet discerning enough to distinguish truth with a capital T from lies. We trust that you will keep calling out to us, trying to get us to listen, to pay attention to what matters most, just as you did for Samuel. We imagine you are trusting that we, too, will eventually answer as Samuel did, Speak, Holy One, for your servant is listening. Sooner rather than later. Amen. For the second week in a row, we will have a guest preacher, which is unusual around here, unless it's the Distinguished Pulpit series. Both of these guest preachers were planned months ago in order to allow me to focus on other ministry after the very full seasons of Advent and Christmas, but also to let my family take a breath before the legislative session starts in a few weeks. Colin and I have been on vacation for the last three days, and we are grateful to have been able to recenter before his work at the Capitol ramps up. 
And I am grateful for this congregation's trust in me to invite other voices to teach us. I am delighted to be part of a once-a-month pulpit exchange with many other pastors in the Kansas-Oklahoma Conference, which is where our sermon comes from this morning. Next week, congregations across Kansas and Oklahoma will tune into our worship for the sermon. But today, we are honored to hear the preaching of the Reverend Kayla Simmonswood, pastor at First Congregational UCC in Manhattan, Kansas. The sermon comes from Genesis 37, verses 3 through 8, 17b through 22, 26 through 34, and chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was a son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? And are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dotham. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and, and, shall, and we shall see what becomes of his dreams." But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to their father. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and seal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where can I turn? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They had the long robe with sleeves taken to their father, and they said, This we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And now from chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him, and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Everyone that I talk to lately seems to be struggling just a bit to find balance. Living through a pandemic is no joke. Doing it in a major election year is no joke. I know so many of you to be people with compassionate hearts and a deep thirst for justice and peace. And so you do your best to stay informed, to stay engaged with the world around you. You get up each day and you try to figure out how you can make a difference in your little corner of the world. I wanna say that I see you and I want to say thank you. Often, that relentless news cycle makes it hard to find balance, doesn't it? How much information is really the right information of, that we should take in to make us useful? When does it tip over into overwhelm and cause us to shut down? How can we sit with the heaviness that we feel when we contemplate the immensity of over 200,000 lives lost in the United States alone in just the last six months? It's truly a catastrophe that is really hard to wrap our brains around. Our hearts break and we cry out, God, have mercy. God, be with us. God, help us. One of the things that I find helpful to balance myself is to try to balance my consumption of current events and what's going on in the world today with older stories. Poetry, art, music, ancient stories that have been passed down from generation to generation ground me. They feel as though they are somehow etched into our DNA. These older stories can sometimes provide us the anchoring that we need in the midst of a non-stop news cycle. These old, old stories remind us that now is not forever and that we are not the first ones to deal with many of the issues that are plaguing us today. Within their lines and songs are deep truths about what it means to be human, that unending cycle of tragedy and triumph, sin and repentance, division and reconciliation, slavery and freedom. So can I tell you an old story this morning? Can we let the urgency of today slip away for just a few minutes? Not that today's stories don't matter, they do, of course they matter. But it is good for us to remember the old stories too to be anchored in deep truths so that we can have the stamina and courage that we need to meet the stories of today. Today, I'd like to tell you the story 
of a man named Joseph. Joseph has 11 brothers and a sister. And it turns out that Joseph's brothers don't get along with him very well because Joseph is the favorite son of their father, whose name is Jacob. And because of this, Joseph gets special treatment. Like, you know, that awesome coat that they wrote a whole musical about. You know the one. Joseph also has dreams, and he's kind of an oversharer. Perhaps the word we would use for Joseph might be precocious. In his dreams, he is always the special one, and he tells his brothers about these dreams. They get pretty tired of hearing him talk about how great he is, and eventually they decide that they want to kill him. But Reuben, who's the oldest brother, intervenes, and he decides that it would be better to just steal Joseph's special coat and throw Joseph into a pit. So that's what they do. And while he's in the pit, the brothers sit down to have their lunch, and they come up with a new plan. They decide if we sell Joseph into slavery, we can make a little money and we'll get rid of him for good. So Joseph is taken to Egypt, enslaved, and the brothers tell their father that Joseph has mysteriously died. Years pass and Joseph rises to prominence in Egypt. Joseph is still a dreamer, and he has found favor with the elites by interpreting their dreams. He helps the Pharaoh in Egypt plan for an upcoming famine because he sees it coming in his dreams. And so when the famine arrives, the Egyptians are prepared. They've rationed food and they're going to have enough to make it through the lean years. And all of this is thanks to Joseph and his dreams. People in the surrounding areas have not planned ahead and they flock to Egypt for help. And that is how Joseph, having last seen the faces of his brothers while they were jeering at him as he stumbled away with his captors, Joseph comes face to face with 10 of his brothers once again. But this time, the roles are reversed. Just as he had dreamed when he was a child, Joseph is now finally lording over his brothers, quite literally. He is the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, and of course, the brothers don't recognize Joseph. My guess is at this point, he was probably thought to be dead, long gone and forgotten. But he was not forgotten by his father, Jacob, who still lives in Canaan and still hopes against hope that his favorite son might still be alive. And he's not forgotten by God either. God was quietly working in and through Joseph's life in ways that even Joseph doesn't quite understand. Joseph, when he sees them, recognizes his brothers immediately, and he decides to have a little fun at their expense. If you have ever had a hard time forgiving someone for the pain that they've inflicted upon you, if you've ever dreamed of revenge, well, know that you're not alone. Just look at what Joseph does. First, he accuses them, his brothers, of being spies. And when he learns that his father is still living and his younger brother, Benjamin, his only connection to his deceased mother, when he learns that Benjamin is still alive, he concocts a plan that will both punish his brothers and reunite him with his father and Benjamin. So he throws the whole lot of brothers, all 10 of them, into jail for three days. And then he releases nine of them, all but Simeon, and he keeps Simeon as collateral. And he says, bring me your little brother, Benjamin, and then I'll give Simeon back to you. 
The brothers weep and they moan. Surely they are being punished for their ancient sin of selling their long lost brother Joseph into slavery. And Joseph overhearing their struggle turns his face and weeps. Ancient wounds reopened, fantasies of what life might have been if that one moment had just gone differently. Before the brothers go back to Canaan, Joseph fills their bags with grain and then just to really mess with their heads and make sure that they're good and scared, he has the money that they brought with them to buy the grain placed on top. When they return home, they discover it and they are terrified. Now they're really going to be in trouble when they return, they think. So the brothers try to explain the situation to their dad, who, having lost one son already, is really not too pleased that Simeon is missing. The brothers say that they have to go back with Benjamin, but Jacob is not having it. Finally, they convince him to let Benjamin go, but only because the grain has run out. Everyone is starving. And Judah pledges his own life as surety for Benjamin's, and he promises that Benjamin will return. Back to Egypt they go. Again, they encounter the mighty Joseph that they don't know is Joseph. Joseph is thrilled to see Benjamin, and he does his best to conceal it. They have a big party. Everyone feasts together. And Joseph orders their sacks to be filled with grain again and that they should not be just given their money back, but extra. And overcome then with a desperate need to keep his beloved brother Benjamin close, he does the only thing he can think of, which is this. He frames his little brother, Benjamin. He puts a silver cup inside his bag, and then he sends his stewards to go and confront him, telling them that Benjamin will have to be returned to Egypt permanently. Well, this won't do. Judah, after all, made a promise to their father that Benjamin would return. He explains this to Joseph. Judah pleads, keep me instead. I have to send Benjamin home. If Benjamin doesn't return to our father, it will kill him, he explains. Joseph, perhaps hearing the desperation in Judah's voice, cannot keep the ruse any longer. He sends everyone except for his brothers away and he reveals his true identity. The years of pain and grief and anger and anguish have caught up with him, and he says quite simply, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? So many things that could be said in this moment, and so he says the two things that really matter to him. First, he says, I am Joseph. That has not changed despite years of distance, years of estrangement in another land. He is still Joseph. And the second thing, is my father still alive? No longer a child, but a grown man. And he still yearns with hope for that one thing, his father's arms. Once Joseph finally calms down enough to begin to explain everything that has happened, he does something that I've always found fascinating. He tells the deepest truth of his soul, the thing that has allowed him to keep going for all of these years 
in the face of great adversity, Joseph says that it is his belief that it wasn't really his brothers who were responsible for his life, but God. That in the midst of all the pain and agony, he believes that God is the one who has been working to guide him and use even the most painful parts of his life for good. Now that all the secrets have come out and meaning has been made, there's just one thing that remains. Of course, Joseph must be reunited with his father. And when Joseph and Jacob are reunited, well, you can already see in your mind what that looks like, right? Two big guys just falling on each other's necks and weeping with joy. And finally, Jacob lets go and looks full into his beloved son's face and says, I can die now having seen for myself that you are still alive. And that seems like a pretty good place to stop the story. But honestly, it's kind of hard to know exactly where this story ends because there's more. There's more tragedy and more triumph. There's more pain and more reconciliation. That's what it means to be human and living in the ever-encircling embrace of God, isn't it? that there's always more. Our stories intertwine and they echo down through the generations. They go on and on, and there's always more. I love how this story, how Joseph's story, points to the more, with a capital M, in several spots. First, when Jacob is on his deathbed, he calls Joseph to his side and he demands that he bring along his two sons, Jacob's grandsons, and his vision is dimmed by his old age and Jacob kisses and embraces his two grandsons and he says to Joseph, I didn't expect I'd ever see you again, Joseph, and look, God has also let me see the faces of your children as well. Amen. And then the other thing is that at the very end of the book of Genesis, we are told that Joseph lives to the ripe old age of 110, and he lives to see several generations come after him. And on his deathbed, he says to his brothers, I am about to die, but God is not done with us yet. I believe, I know in my heart of hearts that one day our people will leave Egypt again. We will be brought out of this place and brought up into the land that the God of our ancestors promised to Abraham and Sarah, to Isaac and Rebekah, and to our own parents. He says, our people will be brought into that land flowing with milk and honey. God will not forget the promises made to us. And when that day comes, he says, you will carry my bones from here, and my bones will also travel that freedom road. Which leaves me, of course, thumbing ahead in my Bible to keep going to the book of Exodus to see what's next. Is Joseph right? Do his bones really travel with the Israelites when they leave Egypt? What's the next part of the story? Is there more? And so, my friends, the cycle continues on and on, tragedy and triumph, sin and repentance, division and reconciliation, slavery and freedom. It's a story of more and more and more 
And God is with us through it all, weaving our stories together in love, traveling with us through the past, the present, and the future. Love without end. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.